James 4, verses 11 to 12. Only two verses. I'll give you a couple of minutes. I still hear the paper. Amen. What I'll do is I'll read the word and then I'll pray. Amen. And then we'll get into the passage. The word of the Lord says, James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, the one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a powerful message we're about to embark today. Lord, I, I pray that you lead us through this message. We want to hear your words, not mine. Lord, we want to hear about the message, not the messenger. We want to hear about you, Christ. You crucified, you resurrected, you in glory, and how you lived human life, perfect life on my behalf. Lord, we want to see you through the scriptures. We want to see you through this passage. What does it mean not to judge our brothers? What does it mean not to slander them? What does it mean not to gossip? Lord, I pray that at the end we are convicted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, to draw near to you because that's all we can do as we previously heard. There's nothing else that we could do. There's no formula, Lord. Only in you, Christ, do we find Lord, control for this sin that still lingers and remains in our tongues. Lord, Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, so far we've been through this journey with James, who is a, a loving pastor, caring for his sheep. And his end goal, if you could say that, with this small yet powerful letter is to help his readers understand the seriousness of the gospel that saved them. He's deeply concerned with the genuineness of the gospel and the, the faith of his sheep. Although this, small, this is a small epistle, it was written about 2,000 years ago, it still has great ramifications in our lives today, especially in the topic that we're about to embark this morning. The tongue, once more. That fiery dart, that fiery animal, as James puts it. And one of the James' main theme on this letter is the, the power of sin and how it manifests in a very small part of our members, the tongue. If you remember in chapter 3, James explains with detail what the power of the tongue causes and how it is intertwined with sin itself. As James puts it, as the tongue, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole, the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. What a powerful, powerful message. The tongue is said to be the barometer 
of our spiritual walk. It is the measurement of our spiritual maturity. And as Christians, we want to be mature in Christ. Amen? It will reflect what is in our hearts. It is the megaphone of our heart desires, our heart intents. It is the spokesperson of our emotions and our ambitions. That is the tongue. If you remember the last three sermons, we discussed the essence about what sin, the sin, especially the sin of pride, does in our lives. God looks from afar the prideful person, but exalts who? The humble. James in, in, in chapter 4 mainly is dealing with the pride amongst believers. It seemed to be an issue then and is definitely an issue now. According to James, there were major quarrels, fights among the new, newfound congregations. It could have been uh, for selfish reasons. Maybe there was envy amongst them. Some succeeded. Some didn't, now that they were sparse or sent in, in, in the far region. But what he says is that all sort of malice manifested because of pride, especially with the tongue. Remember, let's go back. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James describes this as the sin of worldliness. Thinking about oneself, about our needs and our own desires. In today's passage, James seems to give us more insight on what was going on within the church. It was obvious that the believers were not literally killing themselves, they weren't murdering themselves, at least not physically. But from their hearts, they were killing others through the power of the tongue, mainly slander and gossip. And today's message title is, Who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? Amen? There are three brief points this morning. Number one, slander, gossip, the tongue... How we defamation is a violation of God's command. We'll see that in verse 11a. Number two, the tongue wrongly used is a violation of God's law. Number three, it's a violation of God Himself. Verse 12. So let's get to the passage. There is no graver danger to the church than the sin of slander and gossip. I'll tell you that much. There has been no greater threat to God's people than its own people's tongue at work. More pastors and deacons have left, left their ministry through the power of slander than any other behavior. Think about that for a minute. One thing that dying churches have in common is that there is small accountability and church discipline around the usage of words, mainly slander and gossip. 
James understood this very well. His newfound church from Jerusalem found themselves scattered throughout the region. And his concern was the lack of oversight in these matters. Here, James is laying the obvious in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. James lays out an imperative command. It is not to be taken as a suggestion. Listen carefully, beloved. It is not a suggestion, but a command not to speak evil or slander or gossip of our brothers. No, shouldn't speak evil regardless. But in this context, the brethren. Not only are we hurting the individual when we do so, but James understands the implication. We're also hurting the collective when we do so. The body of God. James, in the previous verses, explains to us the root of our defaming, our scandal mongering, our character assassination. It's all formulated in our pride. He said it. The reason there is fights and murmuring and bickering is because of our personal desires or goals, and they have not been met. And in doing so, we violate God's command. Mainly, the second most important commandment of all, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at James 2. He said it in chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love who? Your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. James is telling us that the command is imperative, not a negotiable. And when slandering, when inappropriately using our words to hurt others or to defame others, it is a direct violation to the royal law. That is the law of grace and love. The gospel itself. James is warning us, be careful. Don't deny the same gospel that saved you. Do not backslide to when we were direct enemies of God. Instead, James is leading us to the gospel. Always. He's always leading us to the cross. It is at the cross where we are empowered to use and control our tongues for encouragement, exhortation, and holy admonition. Only there. He's leading us to Christ and to what Christ has to say about the matter. Because what we think doesn't matter. It's what Christ says. Take a look at Luke 6.45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, heart his mouth does what? Speaks. Now the Lord is not condemning, condemning us here in any way. He's alluding to a saving faith. This is what saving faith looks like. We know we will encounter setbacks, especially in the matters of speech, speech and use of our words. James said it. No one can contain or tame the tongue. It's a wildfire. It's a wild animal. So here Jesus is pointing the obvious. 
If this is a habitual sin in our lives, we must take inventory of our faith. If slandering and murmuring and gossip is what abounds, then that is what we will see in our lives. But if love abounds, we will see the fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen? And as I mentioned previously, this is a violation of God's command. Not only to love our neighbor, but also to love God's people as a collective. It is an imperative that we love God's people for the edification of God's people, not to be a part of separation of God's people. Trust me, I understand that, the, that God's sheep can be mean, they can bite and hurt one another. I understand. I'm sure that at one point or another you've been hurt by another brother or sister in Christ. You could go back and you probably remember. In these instances, we must divert to the cross to the Savior who knew no sin but became sin for us that we may have everlasting life, abundant life of sinlessness. This is how we are to handle this. When it comes to the body of Christ and the usage of our tongue, be part of the solution, not the problem. What do I mean? Speaking evil of one another is not always necessary. Saying demeaning things, but also criticizing things. When we criticize. James says, your needs at church might not have been met entirely. Maybe the culture of the church is not where you think it has to be. Maybe the ministries are not there. Maybe the color of paint of the walls are not the ones you desire. Maybe the preaching is not there yet. Whenever you think about these things, think of this. Think of the commandment that God has given us. It is to love one another. To encourage to use God's given gifts for edification of the flock, not to withhold them selfishly. That is a command. Imperative to follow. Point number two. A violation of God's law. Another aspect of slander or evil speech within the church is that when we pridefully do so, we violate God's law, James says. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, this is an interesting concept. An evil tongue, a divisive tongue, will violate the law of God. As we mentioned before, the law of God is the articulation of the law of love, the law of grace. Therefore, James is being very astute in his flow of thoughts. He's saying if and when you make it a habitual pattern of speaking ill towards your neighbor, mainly your brother in Christ, when you decide to defame him, there are serious consequences. Not only ex external ones, but mainly spiritual ones. 
Beloved, the law of God not only points us to our need of a Savior, but why we need a Savior. It is that mirror, James explains, it will point you to your shortcomings, your incapacity to save yourself. Another purpose of the law is to lead us to love in the way God wants us to love. Which is to love one another. We've often confused and misconstrued the sole purpose of the law in the Old Testament. We see it as a series of laws or steps to fulfill, to be a better person, or to better ourselves. Or that by fulfilling them, somehow, we are in a better standing with the Lord. No, beloved, the law does so much more. As I mentioned, it leads us to understand our stance before the Lord, that we are completely depraved, sinners, enemies of God, and we need someone to rescue us from the power of sin. But the essence of the law is love, isn't it? If you really take a glance at Exodus 20 and you really dive in to the law in the Old Testament, you see that the principle of the law is love. You shall love first and foremost who? God, above all else, not creating any idols before Him. Second, you shall love who? Neighbor, as who? As yourself. You shall honor your father and what else? Who else? Mothers. You shall not murder. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. All these laws are based on the principle of love. In other words, love exalts the purity of its object. In other words, if the object of your affection are God and God's people, you wouldn't judge your sister on how she dresses on Sunday or defame the character of your fellow brother and sister in the Lord. What is very interesting is that the law tells us what we must do, but it is very obvious that the law points us that we cannot accomplish it. We can't do it on our own. We can have a desire to love, but if the love of Christ does not abound in us, then it is impossible for us to love well. How blessed are we that we have a substitute that fulfills God's holy law for us. It is in Him, in Christ, that we are able to love others and to fulfill the law as we continue in sanctification. Paul said it in the epistles to the Romans, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love 
does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And you might say to me, Daron, this is nothing new to me. I hear this every Sunday, Sunday in, Sunday out. The problem is that you don't understand what that sister did to me or said about me. Or, or that brother from another church, what he did to me. Or possibly you despise that other brother or because they were, they're successful and you maybe you're not. Maybe because they possess leadership role, but you don't. Therefore, this malice within explodes with rage, and you decide to criticize and defame, slander, and gossip as to hurt your brother and your sister. I just want to tell you, I, I understand we will at times feel hate or displeasing against our brother, but rest assured that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, our Savior, Savior through the Spirit will convict you of all sin and lead you to repentance. He will not leave you where you are. That is James' point. And this is the way we are, we are to live out that. We must in all humility draw near to the Lord as we previously mentioned, you want to love well, you want to control your tongue, let me tell you what won't happen uh, from some inner strength within you. It just won't happen. No, it will be by drawing near to the one who defeated, defeated all sin. Hate, slander, gossip, evil tongue as he carried it at the cross. Beloved, this is not only an Old Testament law. It's not a law that, uh, that was eradicated. Christ said it. I did not come to abolish what? The law. But to what? Fulfill it. And He did so for us. Therefore, we can pursue to fulfill the law of love and grace. Because He empowers us to do so. To love well. John, in his first epistle, says, Beloved, I am writing to you no new com commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Is in you. Believers, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is for believers who say they are believers, but they live in habitual sin of slandering, gossip, defaming brothers and sisters. That is the warning, beloved. A warning. Now, this is to teach us that we must take inventory of our hearts 
if hate lingers, we know we have an advocate and a mediator, a high priest who intercedes for us. We can rest assured that we can come to Him, lay our sins at the cross, and that we are forgiven. And not only that, but empowered to love God's people well. Point number three. I think this is the most crucial one. Because slander, misusage of the tongue, defamation of character, it's all this, but it's a direct violation to God Himself. And as God's people with a regenerated heart, I would believe we wouldn't want to violate God's character, attributes. Ultimately, all sin is committed against the Lord. David knew this. Once confronted by the prophet Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Think about those words. Similarly, James follows the same flow of thought in verse 12. There is one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Beloved, when we cast slander, gossip, or false accusations... On our brothers, not only are we violating the law by replacing it with our own law, we're telling God that His law is not sufficient. Also, that He is not the best judge. I am. I am the best judge. And that is exactly what sin does, doesn't it? Sin attempts to dethrone God from His righteous place. And puts us in a place where we were never meant to be. Sin's sole purpose is to replace and usurp godly things with evil things. In other words, replace God in all aspects of our lives. 1600 writer Ralph Venning wrote this. This is a quote. I'm going to quote. Powerful quote. I would take picture. I would put it in your refrigerator, I would do that. He said this, the sinfulness of sin not only appears from, but consists in this, that it is contrary to God. Indeed, it is contrariety and enmity itself. Carnal men or sinners are called by the name of enemies of God. But the carnal mind or sin is called enmity itself. Accordingly, it and its acts are expressed by names of enmity and acts of hostility, such as walking contrary to God, rebelling against God, rising up against God, striving and contending with God, despising God, hating God, resisting God, fighting God, blaspheming God. And in short, it is atheism. It is saying there is no God, it goes about to ungod God. It is God murder. That's what sin does. 
What a reminder for us believers. At a deeper level, beloved, not only are we sinning against our brothers, but ultimately it is a sin, a sin against the almighty God, all holy God. When we cast judgment, we defame or we defame character or gossip or pass wrongful judgment. We are telling God in his face, you're not fit to judge. Therefore, I'm a better judge. Therefore, I create a better law. I cast my judgments onto my brothers based on my prideful self-righteousness. In other words, we are saying this law, the royal law, the gospel, is unworthy of my obedience. That is blasphemy. But thank God for James. That he leads us always to our Savior. He says, there is only one lawgiver. He asserts that. Don't get it confused. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. In other words, get off your high horse. Remember your place. You are neither lawgiver nor judge of anyone. So, this is how we ought to handle that. Us. We need to trust the Lord for the judgment of others. He is wiser. God is just in His deliverance of judgment. And if there is a, a takeaway in this passage in regard to relationship with the tongue is that we are to be reminded constantly of our faults, weaknesses, but always looking to Him for strength and power. What a reminder that not only we have a Savior in Christ, that, but that He will one day judge the nations and peoples with righteousness and His faithfulness. So that when we are inclined to defame a brother or gossip or criticize, let us be reminded not to take judgment on our own hands. Let us look to the Savior at the cross who at no fault took the worst of defamations, the worst of slanders and gossips. He bore it all for us so that we may become the righteousness of God. What a sweet Savior. What a glorious Lord. Conclusion. The power of slander and wrong, wrongful judgment is at the, at the very least a devastating one. Defamation of character has destroyed many lives and mostly, most importantly has ruptured many sound churches. It is said that there was a young family back in the 1700s who moved into a small town. You know that, that sort of town where everybody knows each other. And there were the new couple, a new family. Out of jealousy, uh, a gossip or slander was spread like wildfire. The rumor 
was that the husband, the young husband, was unfaithful to the young wife. The young husband one day comes from a long day of work and he is awaiting his wife, wife's greeting, and he notices that no one comes to greet him. It's odd. As he moved to another part of the home, to his grief, he sees his wife and two children hanged. A young wife, out of desperation, shame, and not knowing what to do, hang herself along with her two kids. That's the power of slander and gossip. All because of defamation of character. Many things like this have occurred throughout history. There is nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. But we are blessed that one day the rightful judge of the universe will bring about justice and resolution to all these sin committed. Nothing escapes him. Not one single drop, one not single laugh, not one iota, not one word escapes our Lord. That is our hope, beloved. That we can trust in a just Savior who not only lived the life you and I should have lived, died for our sins, resurrected, and is now ruling at the right side of the Father, but will one day judge the whole world. So the question this morning, as James puts it, who are you to judge? still remains. Let us ponder on this question and give God His rightful place. Draw near to the Lord that He may help us contain this hideous tongue. And the power of sin that still lingers until we are reunited with the Lord in death or His second coming. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Your Word has been preached. Lord, do with it as you will. Lord, we only bring small pieces of loaf and, 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 and fishes in your presence. You multiply it as you will. Lord, and I ask humbly that if there is a soul in this church, in this room that does not know you, Lord, and if that they heard the gospel clearly, there's a takeaway, Lord, is that you are judge over all the earth. All power and dominion is yours. Now we are but dust before a rightful, righteous king. Lord, thank you for the cross, for living on our behalf, for dying on our behalf. And through your resurrection, Lord, we also hope for our resurrection. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It is in Christ that we pray. Amen.